Amen. And happy Easter. It's great to gather together as we celebrate the resurrection. Um, We had a great time at the Good Friday service when we celebrated Jesus dying for us. And arguably, that's the most important day ever. Easter is the human experience of the reality of Good Friday. And so, you know, as we come to Easter, we realize all of these things, like the passage that you read together um, this morning, is all the experiences that certain people had in encountering the risen Savior. And so the fact that Jesus is who he is and did what he did is important, but at some point, it either becomes personal for you or it doesn't matter. Either in the same way that the disciples and the various other people had encounters with the living Christ, we need to have an encounter with the living Christ or nothing else really matters. And so Easter reminds us of that question. Have you truly encountered Jesus after he rose from the dead? And so I want us to turn to Luke chapter 24. This describes an encounter that a couple of guys who followed Jesus had with him. And it's the longest passage and probably the most time that the risen Jesus spent with anybody at a particular time. And it was him walking along the road and running into these two disciples who were bummed because Jesus had died and they thought it was over. And so there's so much that we see in here that's like, I mean, after they had this experience, none of them really wondered after we truly experience the risen Lord, we always look back on when that happened and we also realize that we run into him a lot more than we even think. If you've never encountered him, I pray that your first encounter with the risen Lord will be actually today. It'll be a great time to do it on Easter. So beginning with verse 13 of Luke chapter 24, Behold, now Jesus had died, that some women went to the tomb, and he wasn't there, and so they ran to tell everybody. And a lot of people love using that to say, see, Jesus called women to preach, but like nobody believed them, so I don't know if it's the best (laughs) argument, but um, (laughs) they had to go check it out for themselves. But, uh, you know, um, now these guys are walking along, and they had heard about that. Two of them, verse 13, traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. They had been in Jerusalem. Jesus had died. Three days went by. Oh, there were rumors, but nobody actually, you know, there was no proof. And so they decided, I guess it's over. I guess we go back home. So they were walking the seven miles toward Emmaus, this village. And they talked together, these two guys talked together of all these things which had happened. They're discussing everything that had happened relative to Jesus. And in verse 15, so it was, while they conversed and reasoned. I love those words used together. They were having a conversation, but they were also asking the difficult questions and going back and forth with what do you think and what's your perspective, but they're having a deep discussion as they were on the road, and Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now you'd think they would go, Jesus, 
but they didn't recognize him. We're not sure why. Some people make, oh, that he deliberately looked different. So that, but Jesus probably looked a lot different after he rose from the dead. Nobody ever really recognized him right when they saw him. So, um, so they didn't, and, but their eyes were restrained, so they didn't know him. And he said to them, verse 17, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? He goes, you guys are looking sad. What are you talking about? Now, walking and having conversations was something they would do a lot. It's how they'd pass the time while they traveled. They had no, you know, podcasts or anything else to listen to. So it's like each other. And so he's like, so what are you guys talking about? Let me jump in on this conversation. The one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he goes, what things? And they said, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But man, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. We were hoping he would be the Messiah. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. And they go, yeah, there's some women that, got there and said that, you know, they didn't see him there. The body wasn't there. They came and told people they checked and verified that he wasn't. And so their conversation was, you're here this close to Jerusalem, and you don't know what we're talking about. We're talking about what everybody is talking about. Everyone knows about Jesus. Everyone knows that they killed him. Everyone knows that he hasn't come back. Everyone's devastated. Where have you been (laughs) to not be aware of this? It's interesting where people sometimes think that Jesus, well, he didn't actually die. You know, they snuck his body off. These guys seem to be saying, look, everyone, nobody debates that. Everybody knows it. And so Jesus, you know, know, after asking what they were talking about, and they kind of gave him the thing. And then in verse 25, Um, he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. He goes, how could you miss this? Your entire Bible is full of prophecies about what is going to happen when Messiah comes, that he would die, that he would rise from the dead. Jesus told you about it for three years. How can you be so thick that you don't see what's going on here? And so he said, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And they're still like, they're listening to him. They don't recognize him. They're like, "Hmm, okay, this is a good conversation. But then in verse 27, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, wouldn't you love to have been there? When he goes, let me just give you a survey of the entire Old Testament, okay? And point out every reference about me. Now, we see some things in the Old Testament that are obviously about Jesus right from the beginning. I mean, he probably took them to, hey, God told Eve, your seed is going to crush the head of the serpent. Who's her seed? It certainly wasn't Cain. He crushed the head of his brother. You know, so it's like, he began to walk them through the entire Old Testament. 
And I, I had somebody ask on um, this uh, little internet TV show that I do where people ask Bible questions. They ask about prophecies concerning Jesus in the Old Testament. And there are so many of them. I told them, just Google it. In fact, the answer to almost every Bible question is, do you not know about Google? Because you can Google <laughs> prophecies about Jesus, and there are all these great lists. Like uh, Jews for Jesus have a, a great one with like 90. There are some that have over 100. But like there's so many scriptures in the Old Testament. Some of them you're like, okay, I could argue whether it is or not. Some of them are really obvious. And so he's like, you guys don't read the Bible? And he took them through this survey. And then they still didn't get it. They got near the village where they were going. And he goes, yeah, I'm, I'm out of here. After he had taught through the whole Old Testament. But they constrained him, verse 29, and said, abide with us for it's toward evening and the day is far spent. So he goes, okay, fine. He goes in and it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took the bread and he blessed and broke it. And he gave it to them, and then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. He took the bread, and he broke it. And it's almost no doubt that, well, Jesus would break the bread for them different times when he fed the 5,000 and the 4,000 and all that, but maybe when he broke the bread, they could see the scars, the wounds in his palms of his hands from the nails. And that's how they recognized him. Um, but it might be the way that he tore the bread, the way that he offered it to them, there's like, wow, it was last week when he broke the bread and said, this is my body that's broken for you. This is my blood that's shed for you. And so it hit them at that moment. This is Jesus, not from their conversation, not even from him going through the whole Old Testament it's like he broke the bread and they're, that's him. This was the, and then they saw the whole encounter as being, you know, meeting Jesus, but this was a, a pivotal point. Their eyes were open. And then in verse 32, they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they got up and went down to Jerusalem and they're like, hey, those women weren't nuts. We saw Jesus. He's alive. He's real. Couldn't miss him when he broke the bread. We knew that that's who he was. And in verse 35, it says how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. So now you understand why these two guys didn't have to wonder whether Jesus had risen from the dead or not. They had a personal encounter with him. For the rest of their lives, if they never saw him again, they had that moment when they said, we'll never forget that. In retrospect, the entire conversation, the entire time we spent with him, that whole walk, the things that he pointed out from Scripture, it was all just mind-blowingly real, and I'll never forget it. For most of us, one point or another, either you have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ or you don't. Now, we often, we become so rationalizing of everything that we act like if you present a good enough argument, people can become Christians just by believing the right stuff. But you don't become a Christian by believing the right stuff. Otherwise, come on. 
the devil would be the greatest Christian of all. He knows more about Jesus than we do. He knows more about creation than we do. He was there. We, you know, so it, it isn't just about what you understand. It's, and this might sound weird to you, but the truth is, unless you meet him, then you don't have a relationship with him. As far-fetched as that might be, every one of us could say, there was a time when I knew about Jesus. But if you're truly walking with him, you go, but there was a time when I met him personally. I'll never forget. For me, I grew up, I, I read the Bible from when I was two years old. I went to church three times a week. I knew so much about God, I would argue with people. I would just get so excited when a Mormon was coming down the street because I'm like, I could chew up a Mormon and spit him out when I was like 10. It was so easy. And, but it was when I was 18 that all of a sudden I encountered Jesus and my life changed completely. I didn't see his figure, but I connected with him in a way that was undeniably real. And every one of us has to either encounter the risen Savior or understand him in some sort of an emotional aspect, but never really be connected with him in, in relationship. Now, in this story of these encounter, this encounter, I see some clues as to sometimes what God uses to help us to encounter the risen Savior, to meet Jesus. And maybe you'll relate to some of these. The, the first one comes when, notice that in verse 13, two of them were traveling, going to Emmaus, and they talked together about what had happened, and while they conversed and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Conversation and reasoning. Huge gifts that God gives us. The ability to communicate and the ability to reason and process mentally and emotionally and spiritually and in every other way. And in our day and age, a lot of times, conversation has been destroyed because no one wants to listen to what anyone else has to say. Nobody wants to be open to the possibility that they might be wrong. Everyone's so insecure that they hold on to their... And, and we've made up this concept of like, oh, it's so important for us to defend God. You know, apologetics became huge years ago, and now it's kind of dying out because now nobody believes in truth anymore, but it makes it kind of hard to do apologetics. But that was never the way that God did his work. I mean, it's fun. I loved having those arguments with people. But the truth is, there's something so much deeper, so much more important. It's the ability to connect with people and interact with them and be open. When you have a conversation, as, as he talks about, they were having a conversation and they were reasoning together. It's like, in order to do that, it's like, you give me your perspective and let me give you mine. And I have had deeper connections with Jesus from deep conversation. Something that, you know, the, the Hawaiians have an expression, talking story. Where it's like, we just sit around and talk. Well, if you think about it, if you read the Gospels, that's mostly what Jesus did. He wasn't just you know, you ask a question and I'll give you an answer. He never preached a sermon where he's like, okay, here's, you know, here are the points and here's what you need to know and I need you to have this truth ingrained in you. 
He like tells crazy stories and he listens to other people. People ask him questions and he asks them questions. He had a conversation. Jesus came to earth to become a human, partly to have conversations with us because it's when you meet someone and converse with them and interact with them, you truly open the door for relationship. You can't have a relationship with someone with whom you can't have a conversation. And so it's just ironic. And I've had this happen in my life. I have it happen all the time, frankly, where I'm having a conversation with somebody and maybe they say something that's really challenging for me. That I'm like, I want to give a snap answer, but all of a sudden my own snap answer doesn't quite, it doesn't feel like this is going to help the conversation. And then you go in, you listen to what somebody has to say, and it becomes deeper. And all of a sudden, you feel God showing up. I mean, if you ever hear me when I teach, if I ever say anything that really helps you, it, in, it originally came up in a conversation with somebody. It originally comes out of something that I wasn't sure about, but that I was listening, and I was sharing, and I was reasoning, and people were growing together. It's how we meet him often. And if you've never had an experience where after you have a long conversation with someone about important things, that you come away and go, wow, that was really special. That was, I could sense Jesus there. Sometimes he meets us like that. A good way for him to stay away is if you just spend your time lecturing people, telling people your reasons. He You know, when Jesus looks at our world today and everybody's fighting everyone else and, you know, there's this side and this side and you're this and you're this, he's just like, you know what? I don't want to be a part of that conversation. That doesn't seem like something that looks good. I mean, I don't know what kind of a person you are if you see two people fighting and you think, I should jump in on this. I know people who would, but that's really not the way to build relationships. And so... Uh, To me, it starts there. If you can't have a rational conversation where you actually listen to somebody else and you then share what your perspective is. In fact, if you haven't changed your mind about anything in like 10 years, you just wasted 10 years of your life. Because the most important thing in life is the ability for us to influence each other and learn more and go deeper. And often that's where we meet Jesus and we see his heart. And so, you know, this is where it started for them, the, the interaction. And for many of us, that's the way it is too. But then in verse 27, when he says, he started at Moses and all the prophets and he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. It's so sad when people just treat the Old Testament like, meh. You know, that's just an afterthought. We don't need it anymore. We're in the you know, generation of grace. Who needs the Old Testament? Uh, Jesus did when he, wanted to, when he wanted people to meet him. He goes, let me introduce myself to you from the Old Testament. If you don't look at the Old Testament, you're missing some of the greatest blessings in life. Like I said, hundreds of prophecies about Jesus. You, you can't understand the whole sacrificial system unless you understand Jesus' death and how it interacts with that. But you look at, you know, when I read from Isaiah, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government will be upon his shoulders, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government there will be no end. I'm like, 
That's totally Jesus and Isaiah. And you're like, eh, it's Old Testament. Doesn't matter. You know, let's get to the good stuff. In fact, people that don't like the Old Testament, you know what they end up hating also is Jesus. They skip over the red letters too because they'd rather have something that they perceive of as being a very strong, rational argument rather than dealing with a guy that keeps telling stories and saying things that he doesn't explain. That's who he is. That's what life is about. And so when we read the Old Testament, it's powerful. I, my favorite passage of Scripture, my favorite chapter in the Bible is a prophecy concerning Jesus in Isaiah 53. You probably hear me referencing it every once in a while because it's, if I had to pick a favorite scripture, it's Isaiah 53. It's, I'm sure Jesus shared it with them and said, what do you think this meant? <laughs> you know, it says, who had believed our report and whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Grow up before him as a tender plant, rooted out of the dry ground, has no form or comeliness. We see him, no beauty that we would admire him. He was despised. And rejected of men sound familiar? A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. But surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who do you think that's about? Jesus is reading it to him, and it goes on and describes his pain and that amazing revelation that when he was killed, that the Father looked and was pleased because he would justify many and bear their iniquities. You ask people, I mean, for, for hundreds of years in church history, liberals decided, and I mean, the word liberals, when you use liberal theologically, it's people that just don't, they kind of take the Bible as being some just symbolic picture and, and it doesn't really matter. It really became popular among German theologians right before they endorsed Hitler. But, you know, they would, they would say that Isaiah... 53 could not have been written before Jesus was born. It's so obviously about Jesus. And so they decided there's a first part of Isaiah, and then there's a second Isaiah that was written later, Deutero-Isaiah, and then there's tertiary Isaiah that was written after that. That way they could go, yeah, Isaiah 53, of course it's about Jesus, but of course it was written in the first century or second century. But then the Dead Sea Scrolls came along and there's a complete scroll of Isaiah, including chapter 53, that was a couple hundred years before Jesus was born. And they're like, whoa. And now, like, if you talk to people about Isaiah 53, what does that mean? Well, they know. But they go, well, you know, some rabbis believe that it's just talking about Israel suffering so much. It's personifying Israel. Really? I mean, can you read that and say that's what it means? But when we look at that, I mean, I, I remember when I was in college at Biola, um, J. Vernon McGee came and taught my Bible class one day. He would do it like usually once a semester. And he taught on Isaiah 53. And he told us, I'll never forget it. It's in several of my Bibles. He said, take a red pen and draw a huge heart around Isaiah 53. Because he said, that's the heart of the Bible. And I never forgot it. And Isaiah 53, when I read it, as I think about it, as I'm, it's like, 
Jesus is in that. I experience his love for me. I encounter him in this amazing prophecy concerning him. I can't explain it any other way, and it's a way in which I I meet him in a sense. But, you know, you could go through the whole Bible, and there are over a hundred easily prophecies in the Old Testament of Jesus fulfilling them in the New But then really when they recognized him, when their eyes were opened in verse 30 was when he sat at the table with them and he took bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him and poof, he disappeared. Communion. Communion is something that's really, I mean, churches have argued about it. I mean, I think you have the Catholics and the Orthodox who are trying to say, you Protestants are too casual with communion. And they're probably right. Sometimes we just treat it like it's nothing. Um, But on the other hand, you look at Catholics and they're kind of superstitious about it. They think the bread and the wine actually turns literally into the body and blood of Jesus, which of course wasn't true. When Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood, his body and his blood were still busy. And besides that, if it was literally his body and blood, he would have been, uh, you know, a cannibal He would have violated the law, therefore he couldn't save us. But the New Testament makes it very clear. Communion is a special, special time. And some of the greatest experiences of my life have been when I celebrated the Lord's Supper, when we break the bread, when we take the cup, when we connect with him in a powerful way. I mean, there are many communion services that I just remember. I mean, some of them, gosh, when you're in Israel, that you're there in the garden and you're, you know, where Jesus was crucified and, and you're celebrating communion, it's powerful. Um, but I, one of my favorite communion services ever was last year on Easter. On Good Friday service, we had communion with the little lunchable communion cups. And my granddaughter, Sadie, um, had said, hey, Papa, can I have some of those communion cups? And I go, Sure. Yeah, we have extras here. I gave her some, and, and uh, I thought she'd just be snacking on them. And because, and, I mean, when I was a kid, in fact, even when I was a pastor, if there was leftover Welch's, you know, we're just chucking it down. It's just grape juice. But Sadie told us that we, uh, on Easter, we had a family dinner, and she said, I want to serve everybody communion. And I, later I found her notes that she wrote, and it said, Easter isn't about bunnies, it's about Jesus, and then offered the bread and the cup, and she served us communion, and it was like, I felt Jesus there, in my granddaughter, and in our time together with my family, that was like, powerful, it's not, it wasn't a snack moment. Now, you might go, you're telling us communion is a time to experience God's presence, well, thanks, we missed Good Friday service when you do communion, and now it's Easter, Well, I'm going to suggest to you that sometimes with you and your family, you and your friends, you just do communion. You'll be amazed how he shows up in special ways. When you take his gift of his body and blood seriously and you celebrate it together. I mean, it it doesn't have to be a formal thing. A lot of times a formal thing is distracting. I mean, it's not easy for me to truly encounter Jesus when I'm serving people communion, 
Because I'm up here, like, going, okay, I need to make sure of this. And, and gosh, Nate's song is lasting forever. And well, you know, people are getting itchy. And I have to go to the bathroom, you know. And it's like, but when you can just get away with your family or with some friends, with a handful of friends, and just go, let's really celebrate his body and blood, you'd be amazed how he sometimes shows up. Now, I have to warn you about encountering Jesus he doesn't do it automatically. He doesn't do it like every time. You don't like, okay, we're having a conversation. Where is he? No, he, he likes to show up when you don't expect him because it's way more, you know, it's way more special that way. Kind of like when you see somebody you haven't seen for a while and you're really glad, but you see somebody that you see all the time and you're like, you take them for granted. So it isn't magic like, ooh, we have the bread and the cup and, and he's going to show up for sure. But this is something that was so important to him that he told the disciples, next time I do it with you, we'll be in my kingdom. So I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And so if you want to encounter him, sometimes, for me, there have been plenty of times when communion was just like particularly memorable when it's like, wow, when he broke the bread and gave the cup, he was there. I experienced him. I encountered him. And so then after he disappeared, they said, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So talked with us on the road. We talked about their conversation earlier, but it's significant that they said it was while we were on the road that he talked with us. Now, in their day, you had to go on the road walking to do anything. There was no 12-year-olds with 40-mile-an-hour bicycles that you don't have to pedal. It was like, no, you go somewhere you walk. Jesus spent three years with his disciples. There they are. They're up in the Galilee. Oh, now they're down in Jerusalem. Oh, they're over in Samaria. Now they're... You know what they did most of that three years? They walked and talked. And I think that we miss a lot in life when we stop walking and talking. I, I know Steve Jobs, who, who started Apple Computers, whenever he would have a meeting with anyone, they would go for a walk. There's something about walking that opens up conversation better than sitting there. When you're sitting there staring at somebody, you're analyzing their reactions and things like that. When you're walking, you're listening, you're sharing, you're able to connect in different ways. I you know, for me, some of the greatest times I've ever had encountering Jesus was while I'm walking, especially in nature. I mean, not that walking in the city, he's like, nah, I don't want to be in the city. My, you know, I don't want to get killed again. But, you know, but like almost everywhere that we live now, there are trails that go places. You know, there are, there are places where all of a sudden you're in the trees, and it's beautiful. Or you're at the shore and you see the ocean and it's amazing. And it's like, you are missing opportunities if you just take, if you ride everywhere you go. If you just get in a car and go wherever you're going to go. When was the last time you took a walk? And some of my greatest memories with people are walking with them. And some of my greatest memories with the Lord are when I'm just walking with him. I couldn't possibly 
do anything that I do, if there's anything beneficial about what I offer, and I, you know, I know, as you get older, I don't know, I feel like I'm still doing some good, but I'm old, so I may be completely delusional. Um, I, I met somebody today and said, hey, we're, we've been here a few, a few weeks, and, and we just love you. And I go, well, just give it a little time. <laughs> and they go, no, it's when you, uh, what did I say? It's when you said woke and sucked in the same sentence that I knew you were my pastor. <laughs> okay. But get out and walk. Give it a little time. It slows your life down. You can walk without listening to a podcast. You can walk without an agenda. You can walk and listen and say anything that you want to say. You're surrounded by people. Sometimes religious people are so sensitive. They get their feelings hurt. And then people who aren't religious are even more sensitive, a bunch of complete babies. So you go out on a walk and you talk with Jesus. There's nothing that you say that can offend him. He says, I'm glad you got that off my chest. I had to learn this when I was a school principal. And kids who had the greatest problems would come in and they'd be so frustrated. They're going through so much. They would often cuss at me. Just, to, just because they thought that's the way to hurt a, a Christian guy, a pastor. And it's like, I don't get offended by words. Are you kidding me? I'm, get it out all you want. Jesus is the same way. He's like, he doesn't get his feelings hurt because you say something that's insensitive. He's the one safe person that you can say anything to, and he still loves you, and he understands what you mean by it. He understands where it's coming from. Go for a walk. Sometime this week... Take a walk, and you might be surprised who you meet while you're on that trail. And then, of course, you know, in uh, as they open, he opened the scriptures to us. The Bible is so important. God speaks to me from His Word. I've read the Bible since literally since I was two years old. Taught myself to read using the Bible because it had the little phonetic markers over the names, and I learned the sounds of the letters that way, Um, which is weird. I know. But I've read it almost every day ever since, and I'm almost 70. And every time I open it, it's like, there's something here I hadn't seen before. There's something, and I understand as I get older, what I think I haven't seen before, I might have preached it that way five years ago, and I don't remember, but <laughs> his word is alive and powerful, and you will experience an encounter with him if you're in his word, if you're reading as he teaches you opening the scriptures to us. It's why I really don't do a lot of, well, this month we're going to do four weeks on relationships or we're going to talk about the political agenda that's going on today or we're going to explore how to be happy or how to be successful. Or, got the scriptures. It's when the, it, nobody ever met Jesus at a political rally or a psychiatric convention. They meet Jesus in his word. I'm not knocking those, fine, politics is your thing, fine. Or, or if you're a professor, I mean, we have people in our church who are psychiatrists, I thank God for them. But if you just want to meet him, when you come to church, you need to hear his word. And that's why, you know, it might get old sometimes. But if so, that's on me, because I haven't let it reflect its reality. But the truth is, man, there are times... In fact, every week, when I read the passage, I always look at what I'm going to teach, and I'm like, oh, gosh, how am I going to make something out of this? 
And then I find out, no, I actually have to find what he has put in it. And I can find him in every chapter of the Bible if I look hard enough, and you will too. Encountering him in his word is profoundly important. It was for them, it is for us, and that's why we just keep doing the Bible. Because what I want with all my heart is for you to meet the risen Jesus personally. And that won't happen if I rant on and on about whatever cause I have going on today. That'll happen because he speaks through his word. And that's the only real essential to knowing him is connecting with his living word. He calls it that. It's able to pierce through between soul and spirit. And so that's why we're such nuts about the Bible. We just do it. It's the way I was taught. It's the only way I really know how to teach without just doing the same rant every few weeks. And his book, this is where I meet him. This is where I met him. This is where I always meet him over and over again. But of course, also in conversations and taking walks and in communion and everything else. But but in the end, it all comes, all of that exists because of what his word has taught us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. I mean, you died for us. You rose again so that we could actually meet you in your risen form. You could have just headed to heaven and go, I did what I needed to do. But the fact that you wanted encounters with us so that we could personally experience you being alive explains Easter. And we're so thankful for that. Lord, if there's somebody here, somebody listening online or whatever, who has actually, they go, I mean, I'd, I've always kind of thought Jesus was good and I'm, I try to be a good person and I try to read the Bible, but they've never, they can never say, wow, I have encountered the risen Lord. I pray, God, that you would reach out to them today and let them know that is something that you want even more than they want. May they see you in a way that they haven't before on this Easter Sunday. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.